All right, what's going on, everybody? We are back with another weekly roundup of the, I guess, industry as a whole. Pretty fun stuff. It turned out to be a really, really good episode, I think. Uh, I think you'll probably enjoy this one. We had Emily Frazier join us halfway through. We were talking about uh, some of the racking things for the U.S. Open, and she was listening in and said uh, we were getting it all wrong and that she needed to come in and set the record straight. So that was a, a fantastic thing that she did. She was able to jump in. And then, of course, we, we asked her some questions outside of that. So uh, we talk about a couple of the things that Matchroom is doing, uh, some of the things they're trying to do in the future, and just a lot of all bunch of stuff that pertains to pool. So it turned out to be a really cool interview that we did on our own. And then uh, Emily Frazier came in, which added to the fun. And, you know, it was a good it was a pretty good episode. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, but before, like always, before we get into it, uh, same thing as always. What I am going to start doing now is uh, I, and today is the first day, I am actually doing spot up uh, market things, I guess. I'm not really sure what I, which, what I should call them. But they're basically, um, every now and then, I'm just going to put out there a $100 package. And what you can do is you can basically, the first person who comments whatever I tell them to comment, whether it's queue it up or purchase or whatever it is, so I did one today, and whoever basically comments first that they want the package gets it. So today I had a hundred and about $140 worth of gear for $100. So I had a couple T-shirts in there, and I had a hoodie, and then I had a bunch of patches, um, some uh, CG, uh, CJP gear, and basically there's just a bunch of stuff in there. So if, if you ever want an, a pretty awesome discount on some really cool stuff, uh, Make sure to like and follow the queued up page and change the favorite on it to or change the follow status to favorite so that you get the updates right away as they happen. And then you could potentially get some really awesome gear for way cheaper than what it's supposed to be. So I did that for the first time today. I'm going to do another one tonight. So if you're if you're tuning into this right away, check out the page and eh, maybe right around seven o'clock tonight, I'll try to get something out there. I'm going to be joining uh, Jeremy Mason for his podcast, The Sweat, tonight. So I'm not totally sure if I'm going to be able to do it around 7, but 7 to 9 o'clock, somewhere in there. Uh, like I said, first person to comment that they want it, it's theirs. So, uh, yeah, I guess make sure to like and follow the Queued Up Podcast Network page, I should say. Queued Up Network page on Facebook if you don't already. And you will be getting the opportunity to potentially get some really awesome gear for pretty cheap. So without further ado, I guess that's my announcements for the beginning. Here is the podcast that we did today. Jason won that match against Shane, and Shane's the king, and he went up and stood in his chair. You don't stand in the king's chair. Like a perfect way of describing it because I'm taking today off. I'm going to make Jim do all of my work. Ha ha, Jim. No, it's not very nice. Maybe well, I don't do your work. Sure you do. You're Robin. You love doing my work. You love doing all of my free labor. All right, then. Is something, is something funny happened to my camera? Or is that all right like that? I don't know. You, you look blue. Does he look oh. blue? Hold on a second. Probably I don't awesome. know. Well, the rest of our he's people, just, we got Jim Telford in the top right. He's as, we have he's as purple as the five ball. <clears throat> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Pink four, purple five. Pink four, purple five. We got uh, Mike Pinozo of Billiard Digest right below me. 
We have Demetrius Gelatis in the bottom right. And we lost Molina Mike, but he exists some. Oh, he's completely gone now. All right. Well, he, he must not have liked uh, my intro. <laughs> Ooh. He All likes right. stop billing. I think what happened is he ended up going out to share it quick. And uh, in sharing it, he ended up getting booted out. So I'm sure he'll be back in just a few seconds. And I'm going to get this shared as well. And if you're tuning in right away, please give this a share as well. We are going to be talking about, oh, my God, what aren't we talking about today? This is a... Uh, is there a better time for pool? Well, I mean, let me ask this question. Sorry, is there a better stretch of pool all year long in the last three weeks? Jim, what do you think? It's been busy, isn't it? Crazy busy. Um, I bet, well, probably not, no. There's a lot of exciting stuff going on. We saw a lot of, uh, there was a big buzz. I liked it. I enjoyed the, you know, the extra buzz that, 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 that uh, was getting generated. You know, you, you include the whole... You know, Chang against Shane, which people have been waiting a long time for. Judd Trump playing in the U.S. Open. There was a there was a big buzz in the pool. Tony. Yeah, which is always nice. Always nice when that kind of thing happens. And uh, the fact that we were again getting some sort of attention from perhaps outside the standard pool viewers. Um, yeah, only positive things really. Yeah. Demetrius, what do you think? Is there is there a better stretch of pool? Yeah, this has been great. You know, I feel like um, when COVID came, uh, it was obviously really tough. And I feel like events started happening, but it was like the spatters and a rainstorm. And I feel like the clouds have really burst now and it's full full speed ahead. Mike, Jim, or uh, Mike and uh, Mike. <laughs> You're Melina, more Melina first. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I don't know, man. It's a... Uh... It, it's been a gauntlet, and as a as a diehard pool fan, I love it. But uh, I tell you, I'm tired, man. I'm tired. I'm ready. <laughs> I, I'm kind of. I'm kind of. Um, as much as COVID sucked and it was terrible, not having anything going on, I'm kind of ready for a little bit of a of a break. As I as I'm about to go and take a flight to South Carolina. South so, Carolina, um, right? Yeah, I'll be off for a few weeks after that, and then I'll probably see Pinozo out there in uh, at the international at the end looking of the forward, month. So looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. No, this has been a great time for uh, great time for pool. It was kind of bound to happen. I think everybody, you know, early in COVID, everybody thought that this was going to happen last year in the fourth quarter, third and fourth quarter, where all of a sudden everything was going to open up. It took us about a year longer to do it. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I don't know how Nate, how you and guys like Molina, Mike and Joey, Ryan, and you know, you guys are out there. You guys were out there for six weeks straight, eight weeks straight, whatever it was. That's crazy. You guys are uh, well. It it, help, it pays to be young. I could. Hmm. I don't have those. I don't have those kind of tires anymore. So uh, <laughs> um, no, it was a lot of fun. And like Jim said, it was uh, really active. Uh, you know, social media made it a lot of fun because everybody was dialed in and everybody was vested and and everybody was you know loving it. So. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good stretch. Yeah, and uh, I'm still not sure how I did it either, especially after uh, what you did to me in Vegas at that uh, that cocktail bar. Man, I, <laughs> I don't even remember the second half of that night, but that was that was a good time, Mike. That, uh, well, I, I do thought, have I do have my strengths. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. That was. Do you remember calling me when you were drunk? <laughs> And FaceTime and FaceTime. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With Appleberry. Oh, you're drunk dialing Jim Telford? Drunk what, dialing. what would you rather do? He was a man. Yeah, Yeah, we were, uh, what was it? It was Appleberry. Was and, uh, what was it? App- no, it was 3 a.m., I think. 
Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> It was uh, what, what was it? Was Appleberry and myself and Jason Shaw, and we were all sitting at the bar having some cocktails, and we're like, you know, it'd be really funny if we called up Jim and called him a beep. <laughs> so they did that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all out of love. It's all out of love. So, all right, let's get jumped into this. I guess uh, we're going to talk about Shane and Chang first, and uh, so. Let's let's start from the controversy that uh, we wanted to talk about because Jim is just salivating with the opportunity to plead his case that both players are pathetically weak and uh, dogged everybody out of a phenomenal finish. So the context was they were playing a race to 120. And uh, Mike, you can – Melina, Mike, you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I want to say Shane was down about 115 to about 104. 114, that, 105, or 114, 106, what, I think it was, yeah. Okay, so 114 to 105, 106, something like that. And he ends up tying it up at 115 to 115. And this, the photo has been circulating around where Shane is like up in his sheet and he's cheery and happy. And uh, Chang's over in his seat like, oh, like drooped out. Like he just got hit by a, I don't know, a bus or something like that. And what they ended up deciding to do at that point is to stop the race and started over the next day in a race to 40. So instead of playing a race to five for $80,000, they decided to start it over and do a race to five or 40 for $80,000. Jim, uh, I guess, why don't you tell us exactly what you thought of that move? All right. Well, I, 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 correct, correct me if I'm Please. wrong about here. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong about what I'm saying here. So Chang's 114 to 106 up. He's destroyed physically. But when you're ahead by that amount, it keeps you going. It keeps your energy feeling. He's feeling good about winning this match. He might be tired, but he's feeling good about winning it. Shane's feeling good, but it's not getting his brakes not kicking in. If anything, I think Chang probably broke a little bit better than Shane, which was kind of unexpected. Shane he made, he certainly made more balls in the break. And that kind of, yeah, that kind of made a little bit of the difference. You saw it as well with scratch statistics on the break and, and, and break and runs. I think Shane had a, his maximum was a three or a four and Chang was up at a seven or eight or something like that. Um, so some of the stats were a little bit round the other way than what you would expect. But anyway, so it's 114 to 106. And Shane starts eating into his lead. And Shane catches a bit of a gear. So as Shane's catching him, Chang starts fading a little bit. And of course, the fatigue that he's feeling starts to weigh on him even heavier. And he's not got that, you know, he's feeling like, oh, oh, this is getting bad for me. Shane's getting wings. He's catching up and he's thinking, I can go, I can go, I can go. So they get to 115, 115. Shane's thinking, I'm let, let me jump in really quick, Jim. Let me jump in real quick because there's a question out there uh, from Tom Koshis. Uh, there was Jim, or, uh, Shane Van Boning basically said that uh, there was somebody who sent him a text message that got him, you know, the fire to kind of come back. And that person that texted him, I'm believing, I think was uh, Scott Frost yeah. or Billy Thorpe. I think he was texting both of them at the time. I think Billy Thorpe was the one who gave him the text was, message that motivated him. I think it was Scott. Was it Scott? Yeah. Okay. It was either Scott or Billy Thorpe. He was texting both of them at the time from my understanding. So yeah. that's to answer your question, Tom. And go on, Jim. So then, um, so anyway, to come back to 115, 115. Now, if at that moment in time, the players had agreed, you know what? We're both a bit tired. Let's call it a day and come back. I have less of an issue with it. The issue I have, Shane's thinking he's favourite, and he is favourite at that moment. Chang's in his seat. We saw the pictures. He's dying. But you know before you get into a race with Chang to 120, you know you're going to have long days. 
you know, you're going to have three long days. I mean, look at that match that he played in the World Finals against Fedor. I mean, he makes Shane. I mean, he makes Shane look like Usain Bolt running around the table. You know, I mean, and Shane's a pretty steady player. He's not one of the really the quickest. So anyway, the 115, 115. Shane's favourite. Nothing's discussed. He goes up, thinks I'm going to take this match. He breaks. Doesn't get position on the one. Plays a poor shot. Leaves an open one ball. And that's the moment that he then goes to Chang and says, you know what? Shall we call this a day and go to 40? For me, of course, Chang sees a get-out-of-jail card. He thinks he's not favourite. Shane thinks it's only five racks. Chang can run this set out from here. Chang thinks, I'm dying in my seat here. Shane's just pulled me back from 114, 106. Shane's favourite here. So both of them, in my opinion, the decision has been made through both of them thinking they're going to lose the match. And neither of them willing to say, I'm going to take this match. It's five racks, it's mine. And that's what I meant by saying that both players shit the bed. This decision was made based on the fact that neither player felt they were favourite to win the match. For me as a sport person, I completely agree. Just let me finish. I completely agree. It's their match. It's up to them to do whatever they want with the match. Completely agree. 100%. I'm just looking at it from a sports side. I would have liked to have seen somebody stand up and say, no, we said 120. I'm going to win it from here. And it didn't happen. You know? All right. All so right. Demetrius clearly wants to take the other side. Yeah. So go on, Demetrius. <laughs> so I think there's two different questions. One is, should, was it allowed to renegotiate? And then the second one oh. is, should they have? So let's just, for now, let's just table the issue and assume that it's up to the players to negotiate their own format and it's only between them. Because that's a totally different question, which has its own. Okay. This reminds me, there was a really interesting situation that came up in a chess world championship a couple of years ago where it came down to the last game in the, in the they had a 12 game series. And if they tied, then they go to a series of playoffs of rapid games. And the world champion, the reigning world champion, all he had to do is win this game and he would be the world champion. But if he drew the game, he goes into playoffs and they play a bunch more quicker time control games. So Magnus Carlsen, the world champion, had a winning position. Like it was shown that he could probably have forced a win. But he played extremely passive, he's very, very careful, and was happy to agree to a draw because he figured he could just outplay the guy in the playoffs. And then that's exactly what happened. They went to the rapid games, and Magnus cleaned up and held his championship. And everybody around the world, all these chess purists, were like, he should have pressed, and it was his game. And he just and, and Magnus Carlson was defending himself in the interview, and he said, you know, when you guys have a world championship title to defend, you can defend it how you like. He says, I felt that, you know, if I press, I could, I'm one mistake away from losing, but if I go to playoffs, I feel very, very confident that I can outplay him over a series of quicker games. I guess here's the way you, I, I get what you're saying, which is they were both playing not to lose kind of like they both felt like they were going to lose. And so they kind of squirmed away from that adversity. And I could kind of get that, but I don't necessarily feel like, I feel like Shane is probably thinking of it. Like what's my most likely road to victory. And I feel yeah. like Shane was feeling like, Hey, I think I could get there in a race to five, but after where I was and how I've been playing and how he's been outbreaking me and how I've been underperforming. And now I was almost eliminated and I'm, you know, rather than let things come down to a scramble, I, I bet you Shane just felt extremely confident that coming in the next day, he could do exactly what he did and just put the hammer down and run away with it. If anything, I felt that uh, I felt that he was going to win either way, and I felt that Chang was up against it either way. So I think if anybody is going to question a decision, it would be should Chang have taken a shot knowing that this is his best chance he's going to get. But I think in terms of Shane, I don't think Shane was of fear of losing that night. I just think he was – 
trying to maximize his chances of winning because I think he spilled blood. Okay, All right, Molina, Mike, what do you think? Oh, can I just can I just answer two points on that first? Just sure, go ahead. Just quickly, uh, one the chess thing that you were talking about; those rules were known before the start of the event. That's true. Very good point. These are made up on the, the spot. And secondly, why is Shane not offered this before he breaks in, in rack hundred and thirty-one? <laughs> that's a good point too. <laughs> that, that's my that's my two points on that. Yeah. Okay, Mike. Yep, and uh, Jason Shaw says uh, Chang should hurt his ankle a little bit more if he breaks that good. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I mean, you're 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 bringing up the rules, but let let's call it what it is. It's a gambling match between two people, two people that they happen to allow everyone to go and watch. It's not about winning. Nobody gives a shit about a W on, at the end of the day. They care about getting their money in with the best of it. So at six a.m. After playing for 13 hours and it's a race to five, they don't want to go and gamble, let's say, 50 grand a piece on a race to five at six o'clock in the morning when, when they're dead tired. Chang had a look. Shane offered it up and they snap called him in a sense once they went and agreed to the terms. But it's not rules like you're playing in a Super Bowl. It's not mm-hmm. rules like you're playing in, yeah. in a World Series or, mm-hmm. or in a tournament format or anything like that. It's a gambling match, and they can do whatever it is they want as long as the backers agree and the players agree. Everything else, the side bets, the, I, I get it from a sports perspective, but we're not we're not going to go and, and cement legacies here in a race to to one whatever it was one twenty. They're both elite ten ball players. They're both two of probably the best ten ball players on earth. Chang got to one hundred. Shane got to one twenty first. You really start to go and split hairs if you really want to look at it from a pure sports perspective. Now, did Chang go and shit the bed a little bit? Yeah, I think he did, but it was 5 a.m. Shane showed that he was more seasoned, had more heart, had more of a grind, had more gas in the tank than Chang did at that time. But mm-hmm. if had, had they stopped at let's say at let's say 3 a.m. and they had a stopping point every night, could Chang could have gone and won? I think so, but we'll never know. At the end of it, whatever it is they agreed to, which is that race to 40, it was more of the backers and the players getting their money in with the best of it. They wanted to go in there more fresh to go and battle on a day four. When, mind you, because everyone said that it was a a money grab at the end for pay-per-views. I saw, you know, comments like that. Listen, they didn't go and budget for that. So all those extra hotels and all those extra uh, uh, costs – all that extra cost that's associated with putting on for one more day, guess who goes and eats it? Now, did they get more buys? That's a possibility, but you'll never know. And they, and they didn't, never knew. And on top of that, <clears throat> they didn't do so hot when it came to that pay-per-view because this match was kind of an afterthought a little bit in the grand scheme of Las Vegas and the U.S. The Open, Open yeah. and the Diamond event and everything else. It really was kind of an afterthought whenever it actually went down. I honestly forgot so, that it even happened. Until so until I. like an hour so until I. the match, <laughs> and it's and it's in Texas in my backyard. But it just it's a gambling match between two people that they happen to go and put on to allow us to go and view. So whatever agreement or changes they go and make, it's between them and all the other rail birds on the side. We just got to go and deal with it, or don't watch. Yeah. So no, one I, one I, question I, I have. To... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. You go. You go. Okay. Well, uh, the one question I have for you, Mike, uh, as the resident gambler of the crew here, 
if if you originally took the match at Shane, let's say plus six, or Chang plus six, it doesn't really matter. And uh, let's say let's say you have Chang plus six. Uh, do you win that bet because Chang gets yes. to one thirty five, or does it reset yes. once you get uh, to the one sixty at the or I guess one fifty five, and then he lost by six? Do you lose the bet there? Or you win the bet, or is it a push? What do you think? No, be- because you agreed to it based off of one twenty. So once Chang reaches that number, so like I had Chang plus 10, right? Once Chang got to 110, that was a win because that that agreement and the number we came on was based off a race to 120. Now, had we known it was going to be a race to, what was it, 155 or 160? Then we would have gone and negotiated based off of that. But once you go and cover, you've already covered. But the people on the outright win, it's a little bit different. I mean, even though Shane still got to 121st, right? Because he did, it, it was 120, 119 at one point. Um, mm-hmm. The outright win is still, is still open, but you got to go and make sure you touch base with that person before that match kicks off at 4 p.m. It's a little, I mean, it can be a pain in the ass, but I mean, you, you got to go in and take that time. All right, Mike. But All right, it, Jim. What the... it, 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 it is a win, though. Yeah, Jim. What's your response? I I, I, I agree with everything that the, the the Mike said there about you know it's their match, it's their gamble, it's it's, it's up to them what they do. I just I, you know I remember a, a, a few months ago or whatever we were we were talking about these big money matches and the races to one twenty and stuff like that and you know for the viewers you're just you're 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 paying for these and maybe one out of I mean we've been quite lucky recently you know with uh, with, with Shane and Dennis going close and stuff like that but in the past it's been maybe if you get one out of five becomes close then you're happy because the majority of them are kind of end up blowouts and halfway through day two you already know who's going to win it and it's just about by how much and I just it was so disappointing that these guys got to that stage where your your it's your dream scenario as a, as a neutral fan or even as you know somebody sweating the match to see these guys get that close and to see who's going to get over the line, whether or not they're tired or not, whether or not they're missing three balls every single rack because they're tired, it adds to the drama. And I know it's a match. They've got a lot of money on it. Their backers have got a lot of money on it. But purely as a fan, it just felt like, oh, really? This is what we've been waiting for. This is exactly what you want to see. And it's been taken away from us. Now, they don't owe it to us. I know that's what Mike's going to say. However, they don't owe the fans it. Agreed completely, but it's still disappointing. You can still be disappointed that you didn't get to see that finish. And for me, day four wasn't even worth watching because Shane was massive favorite. He was a bigger favorite day four than he was getting to uh, 120. I mean, that match was it was never good. It was never really going to be very close. I mean, you talk about fatigue and saying both players were fatigued. What time did they leave the club in the morning, Mike? About six thirty, seven o'clock. Yeah. And they 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 agreed to play again hey, at four next day. And Shane turned next up. time you. Next Shane time you think that, come find me, and we we can get you a big bet, Jim. Next time you think he's a massive favorite, we can get you a really big bet. Because I guarantee you, the ones the ones who were betting didn't go and think he was a massive favorite going into day four. They liked their chances, but he wasn't a massive favorite. All right, let's see if uh, Mike Pinoza. Let's see if you agree with Jim or if uh, Jim's on his own. No, I, oh, Jim's on his own. He knows that before I even start talking. <laughs> yeah, but no, here's here's the thing. And, and, and Jim's right. As a as a fan, you can be disappointed, uh, but as a fan, you can't be. I don't think you can be offended. I mean, this is this is this is a gambling match that you got to watch over somebody's shoulder. 
And, um, you know, when it gets to, you know, did Shane break and see that Shane got a look and worry he was going to lose? I don't think so because he said, you know, here's this guy. He got up. He looked at the table. He saw he had a shot. He walked back to his chair and slumped in his chair. I mean, he had an open shot and he could barely get to the table. So then it comes down to, you know, you're the backers who've, who've backed this huge match. You've got $100,000 into it, whatever it is. You don't want these two guys going a race to five. You don't want your horse going a race to five when he can barely stand up. I mean, you know, that's you know. your money on the line more than it is the players. I mean, the players can benefit from, but it's your pocket. So, um, you know, it was a um, – I think it was a smart move by both players at that point. I mean, if they could barely focus and barely concentrate, you know, I don't want to see, you know, two guys limping to the last end line, both playing three cushion uh, either as a fan. So, um, so they go to the next day, they race to 40. I think Shane, you know, felt very good about getting to the next day. Um, And Chang probably felt good about getting to the next day too, because I don't know if he could have stayed awake for the last five games. So, you know, it, it, to me, it came down to that, and I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They're both warriors. I mean, they both went through, you know, three days, and, and now they're gonna they're gonna be, go play another a fourth day. I mean, talk about you know, sadomasochistic approach to pool. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I I was I was all for it. Um, it was a little disappointing because I you know I didn't think Shane was robbing the next day, but you know you could kind of see the writing was on the wall that he was going to be favored the next day because he had to jump in his step and Chang just wanted to go to bed. So, um, uh, you know, that, that was, that was my take on it. Yeah, I have yeah. one or two more comments if I could squeeze in real quick. I, ahead, I think let, that, me, let me jump in real quick. Yeah. Uh, I just created a poll. So you guys can vote out there who are watching this. You can be on, <laughs> you can be on uh, Jim's side or you can be on everybody else's side. Tell us in the poll, which, whose side you're on in this debate. Go ahead, Demetrius. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I, so I agree with a lot. You know, when, when Omar and Oscar were 98 apiece and they played it out, that was great drama. Um, one thing about this is that, uh, you know, I, I think about like, well, it comes down to a race to five. But really, if you're betting a bunch of money, you're betting that you're going to beat, you know, you're, you're betting that you're going to beat them by enough that it doesn't come down to a scramble. And you had plenty of chances to hold your guy to where it wasn't going to come down to a scramble. And if you failed to hold your guy to 10 or 15 or 20 games behind and it comes down to a scramble, then that's, that's your own fault for getting there. You can't sit there and be like, oh, he, you know, it came down to a race. It's like, well, you let it come down to a race. I, I think what I'd like to see is I think that it would be, you know, I used to think of races to 100 or races to 120. Like, they were just decisive. Like, we're going to find out who the better player is. And maybe when Shane played Corey 15 years ago, maybe that was the case. But right now, I feel like the level of play has closed to where the, the players are close and their level of play, they're putting so many racks together that we've seen this with, uh, you know, Sky and Dennis on the bar table. We saw this with Dennis and Shane on the nine ball. And now this with the 10 ball. It, it, it's no longer like we're watching these matches. We're like, well, Shane proved he's the better player. It's like, no, he got there. He won. And whether it's by on day four or whether it's by five racks, it just doesn't feel like these are as decisive formats. So in my opinion, if these formats aren't as decisive as they used to be because play is closed and the rack runs have gotten longer, maybe it would be better just to do something more tournament structure for the fans, you know, best of three sets to 21 or something like that. And, and have it instead of being a gambling match where they negotiate it all and renegotiate. What if there was some, you know, it was a two-man tournament where the pay-per-views and the things and somehow it was more official. I had a referee and it was like 
I don't know, more of a more of a deal. Yeah, we'd lose their ability to, you know, maybe that would be a stopper for action. Maybe people don't get in the ring as easily if they can't make the rules the way they want to. But I don't know. It just seems like there's there ought to be other way able to work it out where I, I think, I guess my point is I, I don't know that a race to 100 is the best format these days um, for the fans or for the players. I, I think that it used to be. I think that's changed. And I think that it would be interesting to find a way to make it more of a tournament format to avoid situations like this. And then the only negative about that is, well, if it comes down to a scramble, then, you know, do you really want to get your money in like that? And I guess I just don't sympathize with that as much because I feel like if you get your money in, it's your job to not let it come down to a scramble. Okay. Those are my thoughts. Yep. All right. Well, uh, Jim, sorry, buddy. Sounds like you're, uh, you're on an island by yourself, but uh, you know, you're used to being there. So I think, I think you're okay. But it's a nice, it's a good island. It's a good island. Well, I'll say this, Jim. Born and raised on an island. I'd have very little issue with it if Shane hadn't broke. That's my main issue. Mm. But that's it for me. And we'll say uh, it looks like the uh, you do have four people that agree with you. Although, unfortunately, (laughs) he's got he's got three brothers and a sister. Did you verify that those are different? He's using all of his Facebook accounts. Did you verify different IP addresses? (laughs) Are those the same IPs? Yeah, he's using all of his burner accounts. He had his mom and his, or he had his uh, his wife and his daughter voting on him. Good for you, pal. Good for you. Hey, all right. But look, look. Hey, Chang looked terrible going into it. Let's just be real. Chang looked. Chang was seventy percent of himself. Hadn't played in a year. Only really played Chinese eight ball. So for all those guys who were like, "Oh, we knew Shane was stealing." Shane was in top form, playing anybody and everybody leading up to this match. So and Chang's up to going. And put the money in again and flip the coin. So and I'm yep, looking. He wants to. to. He wants yeah, Chang, to. Chang did not. You know, if you watched the, those last couple of tournaments, Chang didn't look like Chang and at all. What was, what's your at thoughts all. on that? Just just because well, he was playing injured. the eight ball. Really injured as well. Everybody did. Alex looked like that whenever he came back from the Philippines from COVID. Dennis looked like that when he came back from the Philippines. All these guys had COVID rust. I, I chalk it up to just that. But if you let them go and play pool for six months, not just you know. 30 days, I, I like his chances, personally. I've got, I got just one, could I, I just got one more thing on this. Um, I've never known this to happen before. I don't know if you guys have got this kind of experience before. Does this set a precedence for for future big money matches? That they, they, they get close and both players say, you know what, let's just well, extend. I'll, I'll say this, uh, starting this off, uh, Dennis, Dennis and Sky fully well had this set up if they went hill-hill when they did the race to 150 on the bar table. So, on, I mean. No, it wasn't, it wasn't for hill-hill. It was if, if they it, got with, if, if it tied up within, I think, five to seven games of it ending, they had already talked to the backers where it was going to go and be extended. Now, it never came to it because, you know, we all know what happened, but. That was that was on the table, and all the backers agreed to it, and that was a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, hundreds of thousands. So I, I guess it's happened in the past. It's, it's not like this is a one-off. That's the first time it's ever happened. But I think that I think the fan or I think the uh, the chat room brings up some interesting points, and maybe this is the just the I don't know the curse or the the uniqueness of pool. This doesn't happen in any other sport, right? I mean obviously there's there's more structure and you have actual series and uh t- series of tournaments whether it's the nfl or the mlb you can't just get to the eighth inning and say all right well we're gonna we're gonna come back tomorrow because we're, we're tired in baseball right but the idea is even in like a one-on-one sports like uh boxing that they're bringing up you can't you can't just do this in boxing what's your guys's opinion on that what 
uh, and we'll we'll go quick. Mike Pinoza, what do you think? Do you think that this is a curse that that pool has, or do you think it shows its unprofessionality? Uh, it's not. It's this is gambling. I mean, <laughs> with tournaments, you're not going to do this, obviously. So you can't compare it to a professional sport. Uh, if two golfers are out there gambling on a weekend in Palm Springs, and the PGA is not there, their money men can they can sit there and change whatever rules they want to change or make them ahead of time or, or change the bet or add stroke, whatever they want to do to keep the, to keep the action going and keep increase their chances of winning more money or the money that's out there. So we can't, we can't compare this to anything that exists in professional sports because it's, it's a gambling match. We just got to watch. Okay. Demetrius. Yeah, I agree completely. We're just watching along. I think the closest thing this is comparable to, it's not a sport. We have to compare it to like heads up poker challenges where people renegotiate all the time how many hands they're going to play or is it going to be online or live or both or, how, you know, what the stakes are and all these different things. Uh, I've seen plenty of things that are renegotiated. And like you said, we're not. Oh, sorry. Okay. This, no problem. This is not a fan event. We're just we just happen to be. It's like we're at the pool hall and we're watching this go down. Now, that's why I really think I really prefer as a, as a player that watches pool to watch pool where there is a structure that's a third party structure so that I know what's going to happen. And that it's a bit, I don't, you know, uh, there was a comment about, you know, getting tired as part of it, like fast Eddie and the hustler. I don't know. I don't think I want to see it. I mean, there's different ways to set it up. Do we want to see a contest of stamina? Do we want to see a contest of breaking? Do we want to see a contest of heart? You know, but, but I'd like to see it set up by a third party so that we can, you know, be a, audience that has a, a participation and we're entitled to a certain outcome uh, that we get to see, but that's not this, this one, unless it's set up by a third party, we're just watching in from the window. All right. Uh, Melina, Mike, what was the question? <laughs> uh, do, do you think that uh, this, this has a, a kind of unprofessional uh, ism to it that um, is unique to pool? No, I mean, it happened like, had they had they said we'll come back in two weeks, then I would have been pissed, pissed like 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 Jim, you know, and then I would have you know kicked up dust. But no, I don't think so. It's gambling, man. Whatever okay. they want to do, I'm good with it. I want to sweat it. So okay, so so uh, Jim, we already you already uh, think it is. So I'm gonna skip over you, but I'm going to bring up an interesting topic now. That uh, I think that if anybody thinks that I'm wrong here, just cut me off and tell me. But I think that it's pretty uncontroversial to say that. Uh, popularity in big sports is tied intimately to the ability to bet on it. Uh, whether that means, you know, going into your local sports book in Vegas and betting uh, like last night, the Eagles plus three and a half, like this, the success of a lot of major sports is tied intimately to the ability to bet on it. So theoretically, if pool was bigger, it would be in sports books, tennis is in sports books, golf, Football, baseball, all of these things are in sports books. Now, there's there's history as to why pool is also not in sports book that we won't get into probably. But the idea is, at some point in time, with the way that Matchroom and Predator is working at this industry, there is no reason why pool cannot be in sports book where you can make bets on certain tournaments, potentially gambling matches. Who knows? Does this look bad to a sports book if they were, let's say, looking into the industry and saying? Hey, this just happened. This is, you know, two of the best players in the world. And how can we possibly make a line on this? Because we have to now void. If there's a million dollars in bets, we have to void all one million of those because of the decision that they just made. Is that a bad look for the sports books that potentially might host some of these matches in the future? 
What's now, your guys' thoughts on that? What What a bad look for the sports books was was making Judd Trump a six to one favorite at the U.S. Open. Yeah, that was silly. <laughs> so, I mean, a sports book doesn't get this. Like again, I keep pointing this out. This is a gambling match. This is two top golfers going off on their own on a weekend in some place and and betting for money. It's not going to affect the PGA or the well, Masters. Well, let me let me jump in. Yet, let me jump so. on into that because there are there are there were absolutely lines when Tiger played Phil. There were lines on that that you could bet on. So there's no reason why they couldn't theoretically be. Of course, of course, I'm not an idiot, Alex. I I realize that there's no money in pool, but the point is, is someday there might be. And at and you know at the point where someday there might be there might be the opportunity to bet on these things in Vegas or anywhere where sports betting is legal. The idea is while it's not available today, there might be someday in the future. Yeah, at that at that point, to me, then it comes down to uh, pool will have to present itself through some kind of body or some kind of form as having some controls in place that that uh, give the bookmakers some confidence that matches aren't going to be dumped, that there's not going to be, you know, foul play, that type of thing. So, you know, when, when bet Fred or some, you know, one of these gambling gets into a match room event, they feel fairly confident because there's a track record working with match room in terms of, of PDC, in terms of snooker, in terms of boxing, whatever it is. So um, are they just going to go, are they going to go set up a line on um, snooker is in the sports books? Sorry. Snooker's not in the sports books. Okay. It is. It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, in the what, UK, it is. Yeah. So you've got those. You've got those controls in place. You've got some kind of body, you know, in place to oversee that type of stuff. So, and the money's big enough in those sports where, you know, players aren't going to likely to dump. Um, they can make a living at it. You know, you get in a, you know, a situation like pool where guys are playing for five, ten thousand dollars for first prize. You know, there's there's might be some funny business every now and then. So that's going to be the biggest thing that's to me, that's going to determine whether or not sports will take on something like pool. It's credibility. Right, Mike. Um, well, I mean, they do it for, for majors, you know, they do it for uh, anything matching related, like Mike said. So, but yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, like they went and put a line on the Phil, whatever it was that golfing match with Phil and, and Phil Tiger. And Tiger. Yeah, they did. You know, absolutely, so, they did. And that, yeah. Yes, they did. So I, I don't know, man. I mean, I think, I don't know. I, I'd have to think about it more, to be honest with you. But yeah, yeah. But they, they did have it on the Tiger and Phil matchup. They did. Because I bet, yeah. I bet, yeah. I bet a little on it. Yeah, uh, Demetrius. Yeah, I, I disagree with both things. First of all, I don't know that a sports book needs to be involved for it to be a successful endeavor. I mean, I mentioned poker. I don't, maybe you can bet on some tournaments or something. I don't know. I've never seen it. Maybe I don't participate, but anyway, I think there's plenty of examples of, of things that get big without being bet on. Number one, number two, here's what I really disagree with is this idea that we have to preemptively solve a hundred things. And that's why pool is dead is because we're not professional enough or we don't give back to the youth players. or We don't dress nicely enough or because we don't have good enough sportsmanship or we don't call foul on ourselves, or because we bet on matches and pool rooms or, or whatever, whatever. Like we're all just going to sit here and become perfect people and, and be these perfect ambassadors of the game. And then somehow a big successful tour is going to burst out of the head of Zeus. And the reason it hasn't happened is because we're not all like transcendent people yet. I think it's ridiculous. The reality is if a tour comes along, that's going to be successful, it's going to grow 
and then fine tune and then grow and then fine tune. And then as it grows, it'll per, you know, per, uh, perpetuate a culture like Mashroom's doing where little by little, it'll add stops and little by little, it'll grow and gain traction. A little by little, it draws in more players. A little by little, it will tell the players as we need you to, hey, we need you to do this or we need you to clean up or here's how the culture is going to go now. And it's going to change organically. It's not like we have to sit there and preemptively become a certain way and that's somehow going to summon if you build it it will come. I, I don't think that makes any sense. And so in the end, what I think the big the sport the though, what what's the big sport that's out there that you can't bet on? Like tell me one. I mean, well, I just you mentioned Cornhole's little brother for the rest of your I just life, mentioned poker. Like, I don't I just mentioned poker. Do you yeah, bet I'm on I'm talking poker about matches? like the big the big sports. You can well, I mean, if you you can go and bet on a final table of a World Series event because they're going to go and lay odds off of each player. Yeah, you absolutely can. Fair enough. I, I don't I don't know how all that works. All I know is that pools to me seems a lot closer to poker in that it's not a team sport and it's not it's it's you go out and you play and you enter tournaments and each one you're a serious underdog but you can make a deep run. Uh, I think pool and poker are more closely aligned and uh, you know maybe maybe there's a couple events where you can bet on a final table. You know, but. I haven't seen – I mean, I, I think that's the exception, Mike. I don't think that's the standard is that poker is a, a book game. I, is that the argument you're trying to make? Well, no, but it's like you can go I, – I look at it more like a like a tennis or a golf. I look at closer in, 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 into that kind of format when you talk about pool personally. And, and so then there's different You can bet on per match, and you can bet on to go an outright win and, and get odds on the money before the tournament starts and throughout the event. So that's fair. So the, the, you're bringing up points that there are places where you can, you know, there are sports like golf and, and things, tennis, where you can bet on these matches. I'm just saying, I don't think it's exclusive. You said, it, you know, it, can you mention an example? I, I don't think it's all, I don't think that's the only way that pool can grow is if it's gambled on. That's it. I, I think it's yeah. a good way. It might be a good oh, way. Oh, yeah. But, I'm know. not saying it's, yeah, I'm not okay. saying it's the only way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, one of my favorite things, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of like sitting down at a blackjack table or a craps tables or anything like that, but I love when I'm in Vegas throwing a hundred dollar sweater down and just sweating some games in the sports book. Like that is, that is so much fun to me. I like, I, I love the idea of just being able to sweat matches and if Emily hey. Frazier, Emily Frazier, you know, of, of course there's some people that just kind of get, uh, you know, they get precedent. She says uh, the gambling matches only take place because there's not enough career earnings, which I guess I, I think we would all agree with. Uh, and of course she's going to be working with a lot of these gambling companies. They will not touch pool right now due to unprofessionalism. Pool is unknown to the masses. That's the problem and must be corrected. More professional pool on television is what is required. So I, I, I mean, she's going to be talking with a lot of these sports books. She knows she has the in on that. And I, I think, uh, I think we all would agree with that. I think there's a lot of things oh, that she need hits to be the corrected. nail on the head, man. Yeah, for sure. If it's they made, if they made more money than they go going and playing for 50 grand is nothing if they're making if they're making yeah. great money yeah judd trump's know? a mil judd trump makes a you know probably close to a million dollars a year if not even more you don't see him matching up against ronnie on the weekends trying to make some Listen, extra money get carlo at 33 to 1 and see how much you tune into the u.s open all right I'm yeah you. right <laughs> exactly <laughs> or or aloysius right <laughs> doesn't yeah. anybody yeah right <clears throat> all right so uh we still haven't even talked about the match itself yet so uh, I guess, uh, Demetrius, you're up on big screen. Why don't you take it away? Are you surprised with it? Uh, what are your takeaways? I'm this sorry, I'm surprised, with, surprised with the U.S. Open or with Matchroom? No, I'm sorry. With, with, uh, with Shane and Chang, uh, 155 to 139, Shane what wins. I, yeah, I would say, I, now I didn't know that Chang has had a bit of a layoff. I actually, I'm glad I didn't bet. I think I would have bet Chang. Uh, I feel that, that um, it's such a close match. I mean, let's be clear. I'm not saying Chang's a heavy favorite. I'm saying it's such a close match that looking at it, it, it's just hard to pick. 
Uh, but I would say that um, what has allowed Shane to win as decisively as he did years ago uh, was his breaking edge and just, you know, some the gear he could hit that other people couldn't hit. And I feel that Shane has demonstrated that he's kind of closed the gap on the on the, the gear he can hit and the, and the way he can break. And I think that um, if they were to play again, I think I'm going to bet Shane uh, just because I think Shane manage, game manages well. I think he's real steady. I think he doesn't – he's – He's very steady. And, uh, you know, anyway, so I think I'd bet again just because I don't know where Shane's edge comes from. If any, if Shane has an edge, I think it might just be rhythm and momentum, which as it turns into a stamina battle, maybe that's why Shane ended up coming away with it is because uh, that. Uh, Mike, good point. Molina, Mike, we'll say. <laughs> oh, he made a great point there at the end for sure. Um, no, Chang outbroke him. Chang was only 70%, I think, of what he's capable of being at. If he's in, if he's in playing pool for six months straight, um, I look forward to the rematch. I mean, um, Shane was the winner, and Shane played uh, fantastic. I, and I don't want to go and take anything away from it. He he uh, outworked them, and he showed just just so much heart, man. It, it, that was insane to be to be five games away like Chang was, and for Shane to battle back the way he did really just shows the kind of competitor that he really is, and the amount of quit that he doesn't have. In them, so um, it was a fantastic match. I look forward to the rematch, and um, I'd, I'd gladly go and take Chang again. I would. Yeah, Penoza. <clears throat> oh, I think you muted yourself. I sure did. Rookie um, move. Rookie move. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to hear me like clear my throat all day. <laughs> um, no, I mean you know, agree with Mike. I mean Shane showed so much. Hart coming back like he did. He was down pretty much the whole time, it seemed like. And, um, um, I, you know, he even wrote that he learned a little bit about himself as far as never quitting and never giving up. So, um, and Chang, yeah, Chang looked like he's been a little bit off lately. Uh, but, yeah, two Warriors, they could they could do this twice a year. Wouldn't be too many games that would separate them in the end. All right. Jim, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean – it's we I, we knew it was going to be well I, I I thought it would be a tight match. Um, I had Shane as as, as favourite uh, based on what I'd seen from Chang at the previous tournaments before and what I'd heard from other players that he was just he, that, like we said he was off. He looked very very tired. You know you can think maybe in the first tournament there may be a little bit of jet lag or whatever, but if it's continuing into week two and three, then. You know, he's going to struggle to, to hang with Shane in a big race to 120. But what he did show, like Dimitri said, you know, Shane's break isn't the massive advantage that it was against a lot of players now. They know that that's what, that's they, need. what they need. All the top players know that that's what they need to work on. The break is so massive that they all need to have one, you know. So that that advantage, that I think we've seen that uh, not just in the, the long match with Chang, but we've seen it at the US Open and in previous tournaments over the last uh uh, last year, maybe the tournaments that we've got to see <clears throat> that the break isn't the massive advantage that that that, that Shane has had for uh, over a lot of players for a number of years, and that that's uh, makes it. Yeah, I thought he showed a lot of heart as well. You know, it's a pride thing for Shane now as well. He did mention it. Somebody posted something about uh, you know his next match or something. He says, "Well, now that I've beaten Chang, who do I play next?" That's did you, much, see, that's did you see that? Uh... Did you see Eklund, Eklund uh, put on there, 
hey, let's slow down, buddy. <laughs> yeah, but with, 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 with all due respect to with all due respect to Catchy, as much of a fantastic player he is, he's not there yet. He's not that. He's not that big name that a Chang is. That, that to Shane, I don't think in any case. When Shane he looks might, around, he guys, he is. You know, he might think he is. But I'm talking about from Shane inside. Yeah. When he thinks, what do I need to prove to myself? I don't think Catchy is somebody he thinks he needs. To, I think there's very few players that Shane himself thinks this for me would be an achievement. You know, Chang is one of them. Yeah. Dennis is one of them. I believe Filler is one of them, whether that would ever Wu-Jia happen. Ching. Wu-Jia Ching. is one of them. But I, I don't think there's really that many players that, 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 that Shane feels he has to get in the ring with to prove anything, you know? Yep. I haven't seen him beat you yet, Jim. I, yeah, yeah, I haven't seen, seen that either. He's got to get through you. Well, we're getting we're getting back onto this shit the bed topic again, aren't we? He could have played <laughs> with the opportunity. He was invited to our VG10 tournaments, but you know he declined. I know, think he, it was because of you. I think, was, you know, <laughs> I've never seen him and you in the same room at the same time. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right. Well, now we're just getting silly. All right. Let's uh, let's move on from that uh, from that topic, and we're going to talk about the U.S. Open now. And uh, I'm not sure if Emily is still in the room, but I will say this. Um, Matchroom, I'm sure, was just hemorrhaging money all through COVID. There's no way that, you know, when you lose, I don't know what their their book breakdown is. I'm sure that, you know, they make a significant amount of money from ticketing when it comes to their events. And they had to cancel the World Pool Masters and the World Cup of Pool and the World Nine Ball Championships. And a lot of those are huge money-making events just off of the ticketing. And then they had to do the match or the Moscone Cup with no fans in the stands. Uh, if you if you know you look at the average cost of a ticket, let's just let's just say it's a hundred dollars. It's not. It's more than that. But let's just say that. And they got twenty five hundred dollars or twenty five hundred seats in there. They're looking at a quarter of a million dollars that they just lost out on, and still ran the event. You know, good and darn well that they are hemorrhaging money throughout COVID. The fact that they come back stronger than ever and put on an event like this at the U.S. Open. I know that there's a lot of matchroom lovers out there. I know there's a lot of matchroom haters out there. What you cannot question anymore is their commitment to this game and their commitment to grow the game. And I just wanted to start out right there because I was at this event the entire time. And I'm telling you what, it is absolutely, imp- it is breathtaking, the type of room and the atmosphere that they built. The players might not always agree because it's, it's, no, longer, uh, it's no longer the tournament that they knew 20 years ago. It's more of a TV show now than it is, you know, an actual tournament for the players. But with a TV show, if you know, if they continue having the success that they are, you're going to see these prize money, these prize purses go up and up and up. And we're going to talk about it later. They're they're announcing more events to even go with the the lineup that they already have. So before we even get into the topic of the U.S. Open, I wanted to say that because it being there, it was absolutely incredible to see what they built and how they made that tournament run. So I guess let's talk about the tournament itself now. Um, anybody want to just step up and take away their, their thoughts of it? Demetrius, why don't you go? Because you actually played in it. Why don't you, well, why don't you go? You know, I actually um, – I, I was just happy to be there. I, I had a podcast I did with Josh where I kind of talked a little bit about my experience. Uh, you know, some things that were new for me. You know, I hadn't played with a shot clock before for 30 seconds. But, uh, no, as far as the event itself, uh, yeah, it's, it's changed. You know, it's not, it's not the same as it was years ago. But it didn't change for, you know, it, you could say, well, it didn't change for 30 years. Or you could say, it didn't change for 30 years. Like, maybe we're due, and if we're going to get bigger to grow and add events um, by the same company, I think that's great. So uh, it was very exciting. I enjoyed watching the, the semifinals and the finals. Uh, 
it's just it was a lot of fun to be part of. I mean, what a great tournament. I'm glad that I'll tell you what, I'm glad that they continued the US Open when Barry, you know, is not around anymore. I'm couldn't have it couldn't have played on any better than it did. All right. Uh Mike, Molina Mike, what do you think? That's Pinozo. <laughs> no, it was oh, God, uh, you got better looking there for a yeah. minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was um it was top shelf. I'm, I'm unfortunately I didn't get to go make it out there, but um, uh, just from the fans' perspective, sitting at home, um, I loved it. I loved the coverage of it. I love how they were given updates throughout it. That touch I really enjoyed. Um, I wish there would have been more matches available to go and watch. Uh, more, more tables being streamed. Um, that would be my only knock on it. Maybe from a few of the players I've heard, maybe it's paying out too deep. So maybe that's something they can go and, and possibly adjust so that way it's worth it for the guys who are making it deeper. Um, but all in all, the storylines, the ending, uh, the players who who went deep in it, it was just it was phenomenal. I I really liked it. And I'm really uh I'm really annoyed I, I didn't get to go out there like I wanted to. But um they did a fantastic job. Fantastic job. All right. Uh Pinozo, we'll uh we'll get your input. Yeah, uh, you know. Demetrius was saying, well, it's not the U.S. Open of the last 30 years. Well, thank God. I mean, you know, and and nothing against Barry's U.S. Open, but this is is a whole different zip code that they're in now as far as the presentation and uh, development of it. So um, how could you not love it? Uh, You know, what Matrim does to step up the uh those events and make them more attractive and and draw more attention to them man that's what you want to see it gets you excited it gets the buzz going um so i thought they did a great job i thought the television arena was cool um the table two thing was great i i, I for the life of me couldn't figure out why they couldn't get a score up on the, the table two screen uh i never knew what the hell the score was without going back to the score tracker so uh but that's that's you know little bits and pieces that I'm sure that they look at whenever an event's done and they, and they kind of do a postmortem. So um, nothing to, you know, just a, just a guess that I have to assume that they don't want to make it. They still want to drive coverage to uh, uh, DAZN, right? So if they make stream two, too good, maybe people will have no reason to get the zone one. They didn't have announcers on it, and that's fine, but you know, the score, I like what I know is I I flip flip over to table two for a second. That's just my guess. All I see is someone at the table. But anyways, I I thought that it was, I thought it was a great event. Uh, Prize money, that's always an issue, uh, depending on who you talk to, whether you're talking to the guy who finished 65th or the guy who finished 15th. Um, But yeah, maybe they could, you know, uh, bring a little more money closer to top and cause it's an expensive week for those guys, for everybody out there. Uh, so if you, if you played well enough to get into top 32, let's reward them a little bit more. Uh, that guy who's 96 and back, he's still going to come next year anyways, whether you give him his hundred bucks back or not. So um, no, I, I, you know, top shelf, top shelf event, a lot of great matches um, liked everything about it, except probably the, to change to the rack like they did at the world championship. I don't understand why you, why you change, you know, it's like, to me, it's, it's like playing Wimbledon until the semifinals and then you're going to play on clay. I mean, I, I don't, I just, I just don't get it. And so, um, and that's, that's nitpicky too. I mean, they can figure it out. They can work it out, but I just don't understand it. Hopefully no, when they if have you want to bring on, it, if ahead. you want to bring on bookmakers though, there has to be consistency. If you want to have guys going handicapped, 
an event like that because it's a completely different format when you have when you have uh, guys going and racking with a triangle versus a template. It's a whole other ball game. So from a gambling side of it and the and the from the bookmakers, it's like they're still doing it based off of the the template and you can't do it. Yeah. Jim, what do you think? You're the you are like Europe's resident uh I don't hater for about the first two days and then you you just love everything that ever happened in the entire world the last four days of any event. So no, what do you think? It's, it's not it's just, <laughs> you know I, I just I, I watch it. It's a ritual. I, I sit there and I watch every single minute. You know, I've got the even if even if I'm I'm not in front of the TV. The TV has got it on, and I've I've got it on full blast, so I can hear what's going on. Um, I watched every single minute of the whole thing, and um, of course, in the first couple of days, you start to see things, you notice things. One thing Matchroom always does is every single event they make li- just little changes, and you know, and learn from the previous event. And we saw that again uh, in this event, little changes that made it better. Again, like we said, the racking, okay. I don't agree with it either. I think it's bad. Why not just use the template the whole time? Why not just tap the tables? Why not? I mean, this again is, these are, for uh, I'm hoping are short-term problems. Nate talked about the financial aspect of it uh, in the beginning when we started about this. What it shows to me is that Matchroom are in it for the long term and they're not looking to make a quick profit. They're investing massively in order to get something out there that eventually is going to, be something big. Once it becomes some becomes something big, then you can have more referees. You know, you can have more people involved in this in, in the tournament. Then all these things end up getting sorted out anyway. So I'm sure this is something that's kind of a temporary thing at the moment. Um, a few again, yeah, a few small things like Mike, Mike mentioned. I would have liked seeing a scoreboard, uh, scoreboard, but I just had my telephone beside me with the Q Score app on, so I could I could see the uh, the score all the time anyway. Uh, so the wear ways around it. Um, I thought on day one, it didn't it didn't take much of a genius in the first couple of days to see that these matches would not last very long. So the scheduling of the table one and the table two matches, they figured it out. I think on day two, they 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 added a couple of extra matches. We got to see the Errol match, we got to see the Dennis match. But you know that if you've got a schedule for or, or a televised schedule of uh, of five hours. And you've got three matches that are, you know, heavyweight against mouse kind of thing. You know that these matches are going to be pretty quick fine. They're going to be done. You could already be knowing and announcing that there's going to be four matches. Um, I thought the whole Judd Trump buzz for it was great. They handled it well. There was a point where I was I was worried that it would get to a point where it would just become a little bit the Judd Trump show, which is not such a bad thing in one way, but we do also, and I mentioned on a post, you know, we do have our own superstars as well, uh, and they've earned their stripes, and they've earned the right to also get a little bit of, an, of attention because, you know, you don't know if Judd's going to be there every year. What do they have to do? They have to get another snooker player to come over next time, you know? Um, it did what it was meant to do. It was nice that he that he got to play a few matches. It was also nice that he got his ass handed to him <laughs> at one stage by a by a proper pool player just to just for the credibility of the sport. I mean, I was never really in doubt that, that eventually he would come up against somebody who would who would take him apart, kind of thing. But you know, if he keeps playing, who knows? Maybe he gets to a, a level where he can compete with these top guys. But he's not there yet, and none of the snooker players are, regardless of what anyone says. 
and I think we I think we should all take a match is another step in the right direction. A fantastic tournament. It was great to watch. Yes, there's always little things that 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 that, that can be improved on, but they've shown every tournament they've shown that they're, they're that they're doing these little improvements. So uh, what work? Yeah. I think we all need to take a proper moment of silence. Uh, let's let's take five minutes for the lost opportunity that we had. If Judd Trump won his last match, he would have played against Nayuki Yoi. And you cannot tell me that that would not have been the greatest thing that ever happened to the sport. <laughs> I, wanted, I think we need to have I a, a to moment of Naoki silence. Against, I wanted to see Nayuki against Earl. Uh, <laughs> Can you imagine Earl against Judd? <laughs> I, do have, I do have a question to ask. And that's, uh, someone brought it up here on this thing. What's the definition of a forceful break? And I love the final, and I, I got nothing against Carol Beato. He's a great player, uh, probably most underrated world champion ever. But, um, boy, if what he was doing the second half of that match was a forceful break, then we, then, so, I, then, I, then I don't yeah. know what a forceful break is. But And that's such an impossible thing to, to control. I understand that. But. Did anybody else notice that the second half of that match? That that was, I'll, I'll tell you that, what. That was so, pretty much a buttercup break. Coming coming into this, I was really um, I was really put off by the break rules. Uh, I feel that over the last twenty years, there's been three things that have done to stop. You know what Corey Duell did to Mika Eminent in two thousand one, where he just won eleven zero, like barely breaking the balls. But the three things that have happened is we've gone to uh, three point rule. We've gone to you know, break from the box, and we've gone to three. Uh, I, I already said three point rule, nine on the spot, nine on the spot, three point rule, break from the box, some combination of those three things. When they went to one on the spot with a template rack, which we didn't even have in 2001, so now we're using a one on the spot with no three point rule, break from the side rail, which is the easiest rules we've ever seen, and a template rack, which is actually making it easier than it was 20 years ago. So we've undone all the stops against the wing ball going in. And actually made it even easier than it was when Corey Duell won 11-0. I was blown away. I didn't get it. It didn't make sense to me. But what I would say, I think the only thing, I, and I don't know, but one of the big reasons why I think it went that way, it seemed to me that Matchroom wanted to speed through the first 200 players or 250 players and just play it down to the 16 real quick. And then they can zoom in and feature these matches in a little bit more depth with a little bit more uh, razzle-dazzle. That's the way it felt in terms of, I think that the whole point of the 30-second shot clock and the one on the spot with the template was, let's get these matches. Let's make sure we're ahead of schedule. Let's get these matches out of the way. We'll feature Judd Trump, and we'll build up some you know some stuff. And then once we get it played down to where they're the final 16, now we can slow down, feature more of the matches, zoom in a little bit more, go to the triangle rack, and have a little bit more play. I think that was their overall strategy, and I might be wrong. And, and originally, I was a little upset by that because I'm like, man, I don't – I don't want to see, and I don't like the forceful break rule because it's it penalizes the people that follow the rules because it's so vague. But in the end, I'm going to sit way back and change my mind on this and say, I get that they're trying to grow the game. And so if this is what fans want to watch, whatever whatever they determine that's going to make good TV and bring people into the game, CSI is doing it racist to four with a shootout. Uh, whether we do, you know, Dick's wing ball a break, I don't give, you know, I don't care. It's like whatever's going to, build the audience for pool is going to be good for the game. And, you know, we'll, we can all adjust. Well, we I'm, get, I'm, uh, not, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure that the, the match we're really trying to speed well, the matches. Well, you, you know, they look, never, at, you you look at the Emily Frazier thread. Emily's, going Emily's out there in the comments. Emily, <laughs> Emily, I sent you a, uh, Emily, I sent you an invite <laughs> via Facebook. If you would like to uh, Facebook messenger, if you'd like to jump in, Emily, oh, Emily, wants, 
I'm glad she's jumping in because I want to ask her about the women's Moscone Cup. Yeah, that could be a fun. That could be fun. Well, uh, hopefully she'll she'll jump in here quick. But I, I think um, I guess we'll give her a couple seconds to get in here. But I, I yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, I don't think that anybody's um, at the end of the day. I think uh, Matram is doing the correct things. And there was something earlier on that I wanted to address as well because. Uh, Emily can confirm or deny this in a couple of seconds, but I think that uh, the reason they don't have the hand rack the entire event is because they do not have the referees to do so. So in that case, they're going to need, there was 33 tables for the, the U.S. Open. They're going to have to have at least 33 refs on at all times, which means they probably have to have maybe 40 referees so that you can kind of cycle through and stuff like that. You can't just have 33, uh, you know, maybe you could have one ref in charge of three tables or something like that, but then you kind of get bottlenecked sometimes you, you really got to have at least like 35 to 38 refs and that gets expensive. I mean, the, the budget for that gets, gets pretty crazy. Uh, you don't pay a ref, you know, $5 to show up and do these things. You're showing, you're paying them quite a bit. So, you know, hopefully as, as, uh, as the event grows, you're going to end up getting to the point where you're able to, you know, have the budget to have 33 refs that can do all this stuff along the way. So I guess while she says she wants five minutes, so that's okay. We can talk about the, we haven't talked about the actual results yet. So. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, she's getting uh, she's getting revved up and ready to go. So uh, I guess let's talk about it. We've already we've already hinted at this. Carlo Beato is your champion, and uh, it's just kind of crazy to think that uh, Carlo Beato was able to beat Aloysius the way he was playing in this event. I saw a uh, stat from uh, Mike Page from Fargo Rate that said Aloysius going into the final was playing at an eight seventy one Fargo rating which is absolutely incredible. And the only thing that's more incredible is since the diamond Las Vegas, he's, he's sustained an 851, I think is what I saw. So this guy is playing like 30 points higher than the next best player in the world. Almost. That's how good Aloysius is playing right now. And of course he won in Michigan. So that's, you know, he's continuing it on. So Aloysius Yap gets second place. Uh, third place is a tie between Dennis Arcoyo and Nayuki Oi. Uh, fifth through eighth is Max Leshner. Fedor Gorst, Johan Chua, and Rodrigo Geronimo. And then 9 through 16 in the final 16 was Mario He, Dennis Graba, Francisco Sanchez Ruiz, Shane Van Boning, Marco Tauscher, and David Alcaide Bermudez, John Mora, and Mieszko Fortunski. Uh, I guess while we're waiting here, does uh, I, Jim, what do you think? Do, do you like the final 16? Are you surprised by anybody in there? You're always going to get you're always going to get in a field like that, and uh, like you said, when you when you when you kind of negate the break, you know, with the break being such a big part of the game, when you when you when you pretty much negate that by playing with the magic rack, like uh, like Dimitri said, whether or not you agree with it or not, uh, it brings a lot more players into the possibility of winning matches and getting uh, deep into the uh, the tournament. You inc- you increase the field of possible winners when you do that, in my opinion, and you saw that with certain players getting through. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the, those players in there. That I mean, the, you would not many people would have called them as a uh, Geronimo as a final eight. You know, you, you not many players. You know, Lechner as well as he's been playing. You wouldn't put him in there as a final eight. You'd say, but you know, he'd be doing well to get to the last sixteen. Um, those players that didn't make it that you would expect to have been there. You know, um, Catchy and Jason and stuff like that. So it just opens up the field, and these guys are so close together with each other, and uh, the the the. It's just small margins in these matches now that's going to decide whether somebody goes through. And you saw some big swings in the matches with the winner break format. Um, so it, 
to say that there was massive, there were surprises there. Yes, perhaps, but no, not really, because on their day they're all good enough to beat each other at that format, you know. Yep, Molina, Mike, what do you think? You don't think Max Lechner's been playing that good to go and be in? It's surprising to be in a final eight. Is that what you're saying? No, I said no. That's why he wouldn't be one of the first names that you would pick as your top eight. He was in the final of the International Open, one of the biggest nine ball events leading up to it. I mean, he's been playing years ago. Fantastic pool. That, but yeah, yeah, okay. But if you made, a, if a you, year ago, yeah. But if you were, if he's been playing says, more consistently than, than, talk, than, than Jason has. I mean, my, my, po- my point my, is, if somebody said, if somebody said before the event, give me eight players that you think will win it, would you, would you, would Lechner be in your list? No. Well, no, because he's not one of the Vogue names. But well, that's, what, and that's what I mean. That was my point. Yeah, but I mean, having a Vogue, having a Vogue name is different than how consistently someone's playing. Like you're, you're arguing two different points, though, Jim. I don't know, man. I think. Listen, I, I think for as many hearts as Yap broke going into the tournament or throughout the tournament, because he broke a lot of hearts. He took down Filler, took down uh, Shane. He stole a lot of hearts, man. He was the he was the the man of the hour. Well, he's been the man of the whole uh, tour. The really. he's been he's been the man of the entire three, four weeks, month because he what did he take a first, a second, and a third? He's oh he's yeah, an incredible. Runner. Yeah, but I mean, Matt, but Matt, Matt, Matchroom showcased it differently. I don't know. I mean, first, I, second, I third, and Vegas third. And, yeah, he, yeah, I think he took third in the the Diamond Las Vegas Open as well. And he he's took third. So just with his. Go ahead. He's the hottest property at the moment in pool. He is yeah, the absolutely. He's the guy that's put his name down now as being the top guy, you know, or one of the top guys. If he can hold that kind of form consistently over a period of time, wow, the things that guy can achieve is incredible. Yeah. No, but I think it was more in that Shane match and the drama that happened there and the sportsmanship that came through in that post-match interview. He won a lot of fans, and Mm -hmm. I can't can't under-stress that enough. Like, across the globe, all I kept on hearing – the entire week was yap this and yap that and all over social media about how well he's playing, but more importantly, what what kind of person he is and what kind of competitor that he is. So that's one thing. What Pinozo said is right, though. Carlo may be the most underrated world champion of all time. That guy gets kind of lost in, in the mix of it all because you got so many talented Filipino players, but it was great to see Dennis, number one, back in a matchroom arena, and two, go deep in a matchroom event. So that was fantastic to go and watch. Um Shane's momentum throughout it, and of course we were all rooting for him to go and get six. Um, I don't know. It was just the entire event really just showcased players in a phenomenal way. Although at times I think it did get kind of tiring to go and have the same guys, the SVB show and the Judd Trump show and all that. But they did do a good job. Like I think it was day three or so. They started mixing more people in there, so I can yeah. appreciate that. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, Oi with Oi's been playing great too, man. I mean, he was in the what was it, the final of the World Ten Ball, and 10. then goes deep mm-hmm. in the U.S. Open. So, I mean, he's not just he's not just made for TV interviews because the guy has game. I mean, there was just so many things that brought in fans from across the globe, and that was one thing that I was hoping would go and happen, and it did because you showcased the world's best players. I think. Yeah, I, I wanted to mention one thing that I don't think it was on the stream table. In fact, I know it wasn't. Uh, Lechner got eliminated by Dennis uh, right before Dennis got beat out. And that match did not have to go that way. Dennis and Lechner was a very tight match. Uh, I think Dennis was up by one game deep into the set, missed a six ball, and it went two rails and slopped the nine of the side. And uh, I think that oh, was a pretty big 
That was a, did, did you see that one, Nate? Oh, girls. Yeah, anyway, it was a pretty big it was a pretty big role. And uh, I'm not saying that Dennis wouldn't have won that set. I'm just saying it was real late in the set. It was close. It was a six ball. That was kind of big. So anyway, I just want to shout out to Lechner. Uh, of course, boy, I was really I'm a, you know, I'm really blown away by how well he's been performing. So yeah, a lot of a lot of really good talent. I'd like to talk uh, about, I'd like to talk about Lechner too when we get on to the Moscone Cup team picks. <laughs> me too. That was gonna be that was gonna be that was gonna be my next thing. Before before people think I'm bashing on Max Lechner. No, I'm actually I'm actually kind of in support of the, the whole Max Lechner thing. But one thing about one thing I want to say about the US Open, and this was the same kind of thing that happened with World Championships. It's letting us see new players and new names, you know? And we had it with uh, uh, with uh, Oliver uh, Schnigoki or, or Sholniki, yeah, Oliver yeah. Sholniki in the in the World Championship, and now we're getting to see Alusis Yap coming, coming through. It's great that we're getting to see these new names and that they're 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 able to make a name for themselves. And uh, uh, yeah, it's just, I, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. I it was great. All right, everybody, step aside. All right, Emily. Yeah. Hold on a I feel like I'm in the principal's office again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> By the way, I wasn't throwing myself up. I was driving from work and I couldn't join whilst I was driving. And I was That's literally fine. five minutes away. I was I was getting very frustrated. I must and I couldn't text whilst driving. Yeah. How's your uh, tell us how you feel? Your, uh, tell us how you breathe. Yeah. Tell Demetrius how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> Right, you're limited. You're limited to five questions, so then I can cook my dinner, so I don't have another late night. No. Well, why don't you just go ahead and comment on what you saw, what you heard us saying? What was I saying? Um, <clears throat> it's the the racking thing. I can understand that everyone gets frustrated about switching from template to the hand racking. Obviously, all of our events, we would never, we would never openly want to do a template rack at our matchroom events, but we're at the stage when we've stepped into the open events, into the bigger multi-tables, that we cannot do hand racking at every table. We need a qualified and an experienced referee to do that. And not just any old referee that is a referee. We need to have, you know, a matchroom vetted referee. So we know that they are you know, the best racks that they are giving out. They're not one-sided towards an American player or to a non-American player, which is something that we've really noticed. I noticed that at the US Open, um, the recent US Open. Some some referees, some score controllers, and, you know, it's great that they're there, but at the end of the day, they're getting paid for a job. But some of them are fanboys of certain games. And I actually witnessed one score controller favour um, an American player over the opponent. So we have to be extremely careful about who we bring in. So yes, at the moment, and I think Jim said it temporarily, we do go from template racking. And when we do get to a, a, a position in the tournament where we can comfortably have our referees hand rack, we will do that. And even when we had meetings to avoid what happened at the World Championship where obviously we couldn't even hand rack the balls because the dents had been made from the template racking. We were discussing about re-clothing, but also when we get to the later stage of the tournament, as soon as you re-cloth, um, it makes it a bit easier as well, which we didn't want to do that at the later stage of the event. So we worked with Diamond, the referees, um, and us on site and said, how do we make this you know, as best as possible? And even Chad... 
Charlotte turned around and said, Emily, why are you why are you going to a hand rack? But I just cannot, for the life of me, do a final 16 and use a template racking. When we've got all of these international broadcasters and we're trying to ramp up the level of professionalism and understand the consistency side of it, but we have to be using the hand racker, the hand racking. It just that's the way forward. So yes, when we get to a point, there's a referee at every table. That's the ideal scenario. But right now, we can't do that. We don't have the proper staff to do that's, that. And if we execute it, we should do it to a high standard. That's understandable. Let me ask you a real quick question. Mm-hmm. I hope this doesn't count against the five. But um, <laughs> so, if you're using a template, what was the decision to do the one on the spot instead of the nine? We actually did a. Um, not everyone knows about it. I'm not sure. But at the World Pool Masters, um, well, before that, we moved to nine. We moved from nine to one, and that was quite early on when I came into Matrim Pool. So, to be totally honest with you, the early on stages, I'm not sure why it got switched around. And um, I do know that from here on in the last 18 months, couple of years, we want to be consistent um, across our events. That's why we change the US Open to a 30 second shot clock instead of 40. Does it make sense that one event is 40 and all of our others are 30, for instance? So we do want consistency. But we actually did an an anonymous um, player vote at our recent World Pool Masters event. Got all the players in a room, asked them how much money they earn. And by the way, we did this anonymously because we know that there's bigger characters than others. You know, it might be someone like a Fatunski, who may not speak up as much as a Jason Shaw, for instance. So everyone wrote down what they prefer. One on the spot, nine on the spot. Um, like a, a good player liaison officer to a match room. Um, how many career earnings they have in a year. Um, and there was one other that I can't for the life of me think. And it made us think, OK, we should stick with the one on the spot. So I'm open to... Yeah, uh, that's listen. fair enough. Yeah. Was it size so, of the pockets? Maybe you asked them. Uh, yes. Yeah. Pocket yeah. size. Nate. I would have. I, Teacher, I would have, no, I would have no reason to know that besides guessing. Where do your referees come from? Do you have to, do, you, do you train them yourselves or do they have to go through a specific training course in order for to be selected uh, for matching events? Um, we, we obviously, I mean, I'm not qualified to train a referee myself. Um, you know, we're not blessed like the snooker where they have the WPBSA who actually run training for referees. Um, so what we tend to do is take referees from the snooker industry because they already have that level of professionalism and we're also within TV. Um, but we should have a mixture of some referees who are more experienced in some areas than others. So, you know, they have to be a a team player. Um, You know, Rob Spencer, who's recently been working with us, um, who's one of the referees on on the snooker, he's not qualified to be a pool referee, but he's a very good tournament director. He's there... He's there first thing in the morning and as soon as we leave, as, as well as the matchroom team. So there's so many different elements to, to be doing things like that. And we're just learning as we go. I mean, Marcel learns things from John. John learns things from Marcel and, and vice versa. So we really, I think that the UK Open is going to be really fantastic for 
the referees um, in the UK and at, at the matchroom events, because I think it's going to open up a, a door of opportunity for lots of refs. But we we obviously, they're controlling the game out there for us. And we have to be so careful about, you know, who who we have on board. And they have to be a, a matchroom team player. Well, the perfect thing that you brought up, because one of my uh, one of my five questions or one of the five questions is going to be about the work that Matchroom is doing outside of the six announced events that you already have, which is the UK Open. So would you like to talk a little bit about that and how that came about and any maybe tidbits you're looking to do for that event? Um, I think a lot of the, you know, our recent acquisition of the championship um, and now starting the UK Open, um, I mean, it's great that Barry took more of a step back into this presidential role because it means that he's now bouncing all these ideas back and forth with me on the pool. Um, and, you know, everyone knows that, like, the Reyes Cup has been floating around for ages. And, you know, it's do a Moscone Cup version with Asia and, and Europe or USA. Um, and the thought process is, is that we right now, Paul doesn't need us to be investing money into another Moscone Cup. That's not what Paul re- needs right now. Thank Paul you. needs more open events. They need, um, we need to see what Paul is like here in the UK. I mean, eight ball is, is much bigger here in the UK than it, than it is nine ball. So we need to start a nine ball event here and actually see what we get. I mean, yeah, I know everyone was kind of loved slash hated Judd coming over for the US Open, but our viewing figures tripled when he was on the TV. And great. yeah, I, I agree there should be a balance as, you know, his his match after Jason was on table two and rightly so. But the best thing, I remember sending a text message to Barry. The best thing was him being whitewashed by Jason Shaw because it just showed that you can't just transition to pull just like that. You have to practice at it. It's a tough game. And it, I think it really showed how, um, you know, how talented you have to be to be a pool player. And also Judge showed a level of respect for the players and for the tournament. That was what we needed. And so I'm really pleased that that happened. But the the recent open events, and that's what our aim is at the moment. It's open events. Our Our goal is rankings increasing participation, um, expanding nine ball across the world relies on open events. So that's what we're trying to channel at the moment. And the UK Open is just the first one. Mike Pinozo, I know I had a question for you. And he muted himself. Rookie no, move no, again. Not, I, I did not have a question, but I, but I, I don't think... You had uh, the women's Moscone Cup, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Is there going to be a women's Moscone Cup? Uh, no. <laughs> oh. No? Um, what about all those women oh. who showed up at the U.S. Open? And, uh, and the no, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I never said there'll be a women's Moscone, but there will be... Um, details will be announced on it, but I'm not giving it away here. Okay. Um, there will be something leading up to the Moscone Cup, which will feature um, the ladies who attend, who participated oh, in cool. the US Open. And the reason why we did that as well is I think that you look, look if you want to come along and be part of the Moscone Cup and have an opportunity to be branded under the Moscone Cup, then you need to show that you are 
with the big dogs and you're putting up your $750 to play in the open events. So you don't just get an invite because you're a name and you get an invite. You you come to these events because you're committed um, to the game. And so there will be something ahead of the Moscone, but full details will be announced soon. And will will there be uh, will there be fans in attendance? Is that um, are you? Uh... Depends. I'd like to open it to fans, but it depends on venue and logistics. That that's also, it's, it's not it's not it's not going to be it's not going to be connected to Musconian and the Ali Pali along uh, beforehand. Though it's going to be somewhere else. But potentially, haven't decided yet. Okay, yeah. Melina, Mikey, what you got? Anything? Well, one thing I want to respond real quick. Pool may not need the Reyes Cup, but the fans need the Reyes <laughs> Cup. So I'll, I'll start with there. I think you guys did a phenomenal job, but I'm curious, what's the biggest area of improvement for you and your team for the U.S. Open? Like, what would you um, go and work on? I think we need to work on um, understanding the game a lot more on – the overall tournament perspective. Um, we've always been too interested in TV table um, and the top 16 players. And I think one thing that we overlook are the out tables, the lesser ranked players, and how we, um, we promote those other matches that are going on. Um, this year, not those ones, the outer tables um, what the score controllers were doing what the players were doing how it was different to the TV table um, I hate the fact So temporarily, whilst we focus on spending money in other areas, we drive everyone to our score site. So if you ever need any more information on what the Patreon system um, is or how you can you know, contribute just, outside I mean, of I the Patreon, please reach out to the podcast or Nate himself. If you would like to contribute to the podcast for free, consider sharing any podcasts or the I mean, podcast page on Facebook itself. Ball, also, leaving a review and a rating if you listen through iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. It Thank you for listening, right. and we'll um, be back soon with another episode of the q so Up podcast. I just think there needs to be more education on that side of things. There was, just, there was a few things that, you know, at the players' meeting, one player, you know, put his hand up and 
asked a genuine question got laughed at by the other players. So I, I think we just need to really step up our game. And the only way that we can educate the players is, you know, by, um, by helping them. And that's all we're going to really try and do. But we've still got a lot of work to do, but we're committed. We, we, we want to expand the game. And, but like I said earlier, everything we do is for a reason. I understand that we make mistakes. We definitely do because we can't think of everything, but we learn. And anything that we make a mistake on, we change for the next event. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, lots still to be done. Yeah, no one will ever question your commitment. No, yeah, Emily, I have a, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I have a question and I, I just wanted to say thanks for, you know, thanks for running the event. You know, I had, I had, uh, you know, I can sit here and nitpick break rule preferences, but every player has different feelings about that in the event, in the, in the end, I just, I want the event to grow and you've been the only guys that are doing it over there at Matchroom. I guess my question is just, um, was it a success when it came to like, your, you know, obviously you put a lot of work and a lot of money into putting this event together, taking it on, growing it. Uh, what were the ratings and how did it, like, I don't need to know the demo, like the numbers, they don't mean anything to me, but just did you, was it a success for Matchroom? Did it do what it needed to do to keep this going forward? It did. We rated really well in the US um, and really good in Germany as well. We peaked at like a million in the UK. Um, I what? won't lie, when Judd um, did play, but also when one thing we did notice, the big spike was when Judd played and when Kelly and Christina played a match. Um, that also spiked, which it gives us a little nudge into maybe what we're not doing with the ladies in the sport. So um, it was a success Um it costs <laughs> a lot of money and it's nowhere near profitable, but we see potential with the event. Um, we're just pulling together all of our evaluation reports for the event and I'd be more than happy to share it with you, Mike, so we can actually publish it in, you know, Billiards Digest and just show people how I would love to show people how these events are rating to what they were I would three love years yeah. ago. Yeah, of course. Um, so I will definitely make a note of that because it is a success. More people are tuning in. I know things like with the forceful break and it's a very gray area and it really is. But the thing is, is that the three point rule, it's confusing. And yeah. if someone, a casual viewer tunes in, it is confusing. And I can't take a step back in this sport when we've just, you know, we're trying to pull in the casual fan. We're trying to make it fun and interesting. And it's, it is snooker meets darts. So we have to stick to our guns and remove things like the three-point rule. Agreed. And maybe find other yeah. ways. But we're just trying to test the water um, and see how we can. You know, we just hope that we get to a stage where we do professionalise the game. And not everyone are trying to shaft people on the break by not breaking um powerful enough but i think in three years time we wouldn't even we won't even have the conversation about forceful break at us open i'll make that bet now because we'll be in a total different stage so we just need to keep doing what we're trying to do and uh, stick to our guns on something like that um but it yeah it was a success for the potential of the event i think that's a that's a perfect way to kind of wrap this up i know you said you wanted to get out of here pretty quickly. Can I ask well, one more question? No, Jim, because I'm going to ask one more question and get her out of here. <laughs> uh, 
My show. Haha. <laughs> okay. So I guess uh, with all these discussions and all the things that Matrim is doing uh, to get us out here, kind of off of what you had just said there, tell us what Matrim is excited about. What are the things that you guys are having growth areas and things that you guys are doing, announcing, whatever it is? What are you excited about that keeps you continuing to grow the sport like you are? Um, a tour. A tour. That's what excited about. Me wow. too. Mm. I think that's I think that's some pretty big news, and, and you're leave, showing it. I'll, I'll leave you there. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's good enough. That's good enough. All right, Emily, I, we will let you bounce Easier. out. Thank you very much for uh, jumping in and keeping us straight and uh, informing everybody <laughs> on the, the matchroom's intentions and policies, we'll say. <laughs> um, it's a really good show, by the way, and I'm really glad I tuned in for my drive home. So Appreciate it. Thank you. great work. Yeah. Right. Thanks, Sam. See All you right. later. Take it easy. Cheers. All right, we're losing the only two people that this show uh, people show up for. I think we're uh, we're going to lose Mike Pinozo too. So we're yeah, just losing everything. Too. This was a ton of fun. I'd stand for another half. <laughs> yeah, we're losing all the good-looking ones. Don't go, don't go talking about the Moscone Cup without me because we're coming back to this whole Max Lechner <laughs> thing about why how he got cheated <laughs> out of the automatic spot on. The, oh, he said the, the most cheated out of it. I'm on team. I love I love David Alcade, but. But using the Champion League as points for the Moscone Cup was not fair because guys like Lechner were not even invited. So he had no he he outdid David in three out of the four events and wasn't allowed into the fourth. So well, say it louder. That's my, that's say my it pitch. louder. That's my bitch for today. Did you, did you say fair and Moscone Cup in the same? <laughs> oh. Say a lot for the good, people in the back. It's a good talking that, point. Yeah. Anyways, guys, thanks very much. A lot of yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to bail too, guys. I yeah, um... we're, Yep. Uh, well, we're gonna. Here's the perfect time to announce this. We, uh, if, if you look at the description for this, you will notice that we are going to be talking about a lot of different objects or a, a lot of different things. We did not get completely done with them. In fact, we only got through two of them. So uh, we are doing another show on Thursday that was already planned, where we are going to be talking about uh, basically everything that we didn't talk about today, which would be the Predator and the Diamond Las Vegas Open. We'll uh, skim over those as well as the Moscone Cup announcements. So we'll talk about that. And then we're also going to be talking about a lot of upcoming announcements for events, as well as uh, the Michigan event that just finished up last week. We're going to be talking about Alex and Tony Chohan. We're going to be talking on that show. And we're going to be talking about the upcoming uh, matches like Alex Peggy Lyon versus uh, Fedor Gorst, as well as Fedor Gorst versus Devin Potit in a one-pocket matchup. Basically, there's still a ton to talk about. We knew this coming in, and we're going to move that until Thursday. So make sure to check out your feeds this around this time on Thursday to catch the second part of the weekly wrap-up and look-ahead episodes. And uh, now I can breathe. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Thank you, Emily. Uh, if you're still tuning in, I'm sure you're not at this point. But uh, thank you very much for jumping in. Mike Pinozo, Melina Mike, Jim, Demetrius, thank you guys all for being a part of the show. And I guess we'll tune off until Thursday. See you, boys. Bye-bye. See you guys. All right. Thanks, everybody.